What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Showcase Sports Show. I am Griffin Conant, your host. Alongside me, as always, my partner in crime, Elijah Cornejo. How are you doing, E? I'm doing well, Griff. I kind of wanted to start this episode off by doing something that we haven't done before. Uh, we have a new segment, you know, where we'll tell a a fun or sometimes dark sports story or some facts, something like that. So I have a couple here right to kick us off. The first one. Former MLB catcher Harry Cheaty, he was the first player ever to be traded for himself. He was originally traded from the Cleveland Indians to the New York Mets for a player to be named later. But then after 15 terrible games with the Mets, Cheaty was in fact traded back to Cleveland because he performed so poorly. Pretty unbelievable stuff right there from Harry Cheaty and the Cleveland Indians. So Griff, I hear you have a story for us. Why don't you go ahead and get into it? You know, I, I want to start off by saying I think this is a great idea because there are a lot of sports stories out there that just have not been told. And they need to be told. Sports is a weird place. Yeah. There's a lot of strange stuff that goes on. No matter how serious the story, no, no matter how big the story is, high school, college, professional sports, it needs to be heard. And I think that's why we're going to do this segment and why we're starting this segment. All right, E. So the story I'm about to share is, I'd say for the most part, a pretty well-known story. It, it has to do with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish football program, specifically the 2012 Notre Dame Fighting Irish, who went 12-0 and and later faced Alabama in the BCS National Championship game. Uh, they ended up losing that game 42-14, to but there was a special story within this football team that year. Do you know what I'm talking about, E? Do you I, know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're talking about. I remember it vividly. I remember watching it go down on live TV. I remember the entire right. team, the entire country rallying behind one certain player due to the unfortunate events that had you know happened in his life. So, yes. Griff, yes. go ahead. Break so, it down. Notre Dame had a very special linebacker, and his name was Manti Teo. Now, Manti Teo was having a phenomenal season. He was a Heisman candidate as a middle linebacker, which was pretty impressive. One of the uh, best college linebackers I've ever yep, seen. For, for those of you who don't know, the Heisman Trophy is usually awarded to like an offensive player, uh, you know, usually a quarterback or a running back. So it was, it was definitely kind of a shock to see Manti Teo be a Heisman finalist in this college football season. So, I mean, that's how good he was for this Notre Dame football team. He was a really good player, which makes this story that much more wild. So my story picks off or picks up here in 2009, and this is when Notre Dame linebacker Manti Teo, well, he started getting a little intimate with someone online, uh, and this person's name online, her name was Lene Kakua. I believe I'm saying that correct, Lene Kakua. So they become friends on Facebook, I believe is what it is. Uh, and that is in 2009. So he befriends this Kakua individual online the winter of his freshman year by saying, I'm Mantai. That's all he says. That is all he said. And, and before you know it, a, uh, a romance kind of began to develop between the two. You're probably realizing now that, wow, 2009, that's a long time. That's like, c compared to, you know, that Notre Dame season, 2012. So he's known this girl for three years, right, at Notre Dame between 2009 and 2012. Well, 
between 2009 and 2012, things kind of get a little hairy. There's some events that kind of take place that get a little crazy. So it all started with an internet romance between Manti Teo and Miss Kakua, right? So, so on April 28th, 2012, Manti Teo receives a call from his quote-unquote girlfriend, brother, stating that Kakua was in a three-person car accident and that she had to be rushed to the hospital. So obviously Manti Teo at this point is pretty upset. Uh, his girlfriend is now in the hospital after getting in that car accident. And he's talking to some guy who claims to be, you know, her brother throughout this whole thing. He's obviously very upset about these most recent events. But hey, she makes what I appear to believe a full recovery. Isn't that right, uh, That's what it sounds so, like. Yeah, so she makes a full recovery. Manai Teo's kind of in a better place after this. But within two months... Uh, Kakua informs Manti Teo that she has leukemia. So she's been diagnosed with leukemia in June of 2012, just a mere months before the college football season starts. And don't forget, they have not met up until this point. Yes, they've kind of just been messaging and actually having phone calls. So he is actually talking to this female and also her brother, who eventually, you know, told him about the news of the car accident. So she gets leukemia in June of 2012. Manai Teo is planning to go visit her. He can't during this time. Um, and uh, so he's kind of just been talking to her from afar, kind of being there for her while she has leukemia and kind of going through this tough time. Well, September 12th comes along, and Manai Teo is really struggling at this point. E. His grandma just dies, um, and he finds out on September 12th that his girlfriend, Kakua, has also passed away from leukemia four hours after his grandmother has passed away. So Manti Teo, is, he's not in a good place right now. He actually tweets, I may not hear your voice, but I do feel your presence. So he's emotionally affected by this, this whole debacle. Well, yeah, his grandmother, who he's very close with, he was pretty much like his mother, she passes away. Four hours later, his girlfriend dies. I mean, I can right. imagine the guy's in a horrible he's place. He's in a tough place, but that did not affect him on the football field. Or on the gridiron. This is a, a note for all you young football players out there. You get what you have to get done on the football field. So Manti Teo comes out against Michigan State, has an interception, records 12 tackles. They beat Michigan State. It's a big win for Notre Dame. It seems like Notre Dame is legit. Believe it or not, Kakua's funeral in the next week is supposed to take place during the Notre Dame uh, versus Michigan game. Manti Teo makes a promise to her that he would play football no matter what should anything happen to her. So that is a big promise. He's not even going to go to the funeral. He's, that's how much this guy loves football. He's, he wants to beat Michigan that bad. Okay. So Notre Dame, what do they do? They beat Michigan. Notre Dame's on a roll right now. It looks like a national championship is in sight. I mean, they're having a great season. And then Manti Teo in November also starts, he's dating someone else now. So he's starting to move on. Oh, that was quick. He um, moved on pretty quick. I meant... I, yeah, only a couple months uh, went went by there for Manti Teo. But he's now dating this this girl named Alex Pilar. So December rolls around. Uh, Manti Teo, you know, Notre Dame, like I said, is on a roll. He's kind of in contention for all of these individual awards. I mean, he's the best linebacker in the country, right? I mean, he is a Heisman candidate at this point, this late into the season. Uh, so after an ESPN Home, Home Depot award show in Orlando, he gets a call from Kakua. 
from Lene Kakua saying she is not dead. She is back from the dead. She's pretty much a zombie at this point. As you can guess, Manti Teo is just beside himself. Here's a clip of Manti Teo after he heard the news. He said, it's Lene. And so we carried on that conversation and I just got mad. And I just went on a rampage. Like, how could you do this to me? Like, I ended that conversation by saying simply this. You know what? Lene, my Lene died on September 12th. So that was an ESPN exclusive uh, by Jeremy Shap and Manti Teo. Little interview there from him after he realizes uh, that Kakua is pretty much back from the dead. I mean, he gets a phone call from Lene saying that, hey, I'm alive, pretty much. I and mean, I, I can't even imagine what is going through Manti Teo's head right now. For, number one, he's probably very confused. He's probably in denial. He doesn't, he doesn't believe that this is actually his girlfriend, his dead girlfriend. Uh, and he's probably just like, what is going on? Why, why, what, just what is going on? I, I don't understand what's going on. So during this phone call, Lene says, hey, my name is actually Leah. And I'm going to come out and tell you the truth on January 16th, was it? Yes, January 16th. She was going to unveil the truth to middle linebacker Manti Teo about what in God's name is going on here. I mean, this is a mess. This is starting to just create national headlines. Notre Dame is in a national championship title hunt, and it's kind of distracting the team in a lot of ways, E. So Manti Teo gets a call on January 16th from a man named Renaya Tuasasopo. And he pretty much calls Manti Teo and says, Hey, I'm Lene Kakua, and... I pretty much catfished you. I've, I've catfished you this whole time. Pretty much everything I've said is a lie. And, you know, at this point, yeah, obviously he's interested in Manti Teo based off the connection they've had in these just prior few months. So pretty much what ends up happening, Manti Teo goes to the school. Notre Dame athletic director Jack Swarbrick kind of gets involved and they conduct a investigation and they pretty much clear Manti Teo's name. And that was that. Notre Dame ends up going to the national championship. They get stopped by Alabama. Uh, Manti Teo ends up getting drafted in the NFL, plays in the NFL for what? How many years did he play? He played. He had a healthy yeah, career. I, I mean, probably five, five, six amount years. Of years. Yeah. So he was in the league for a while. Uh, but yeah, that news kind of just went back into the background and it was never really spoken of again. But we have to talk about the sheer embarrassment that Manti Teo probably went through. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was catfished in front of the entire nation, and he was he captivated the entire nation. He First did. of all, everyone, everyone was behind him. Everyone was like, wow, man, this guy has had uh, just a terrible time. His grandmother dies. His girlfriend passes away. And you know what? How courageous for him to go out here and play this football game for his girlfriend. And turns out she wasn't even real. I mean, so all of America was feeling empathetic towards Manti Teo. And I remember, I remember being 15 years old. Both you and me, were, we were freshmen in high school. I remember watching this all over SportsCenter and ESPN, even like the big national media outlets, ABC, NBC. It was everywhere. It was a big deal. It was just a, it was a shame. And they totally just played Manti Teo in the worst way possible. I mean, if you're... Shame on 
Tuas Sopo. That's it, all I'm going to say. Shame on you, man. If you're the athletic director at Notre Dame, what a PR disaster you have to deal with <laughs> I now. I mean, what do you believe? I'm like, this is not the job I signed up for. Well, and especially because people were questioning if Manti Teo did this on his own. Was this a publicity stunt to get himself in the headlines? Right. Um, you know, so he was constantly being questioned for this. It turns out he was just catfished by uh, some man in a different state. That actually pretty much fell in love with Manti Teo. He said it on an interview right. with Dr. Phil. Let's hear the clip. We have a young man that fell deeply romantically in love. And said, does he say that? Does he say I fell in love with <clears throat> I asked him straight up, was this a romantic relationship with you? And he says, yes. I said, are you then therefore gay? And he says, well, when you put it that way, yes. And then he caught himself and said, I am confused. So there you have it. Possibly the weirdest love story that the NFL and college football has ever seen. Well, hey, Dr. Phil, you heard it there first. I mean, does Dr. Phil ever lie? I've never heard him lie. He's never told a lie. So, I mean, when you're getting Dr. Phil's attention throughout this just whole fiasco, then you know it's serious news. Overall, it was just it's just a sad story you know i'm glad manti teo was able to persevere and keep moving on with his life he, he was a very talented linebacker so but you know, yeah it's sad it was a, just a crazy weird story that uh, i'm not sure if we'll ever see again just you got to be careful what you're doing online everybody so you know how there's people out there that say there's no such thing as bad publicity yeah i don't know if that's true <laughs> i can't imagine that this was good for manti teo's career and I mean, his credibility. For a while there it was, just because everyone thought that was the truth. Everyone thought that everything his girlfriend was saying was real. Wow. You know, the entire country was behind him. They were supporting him. Yeah. And, and now, I mean, how does America feel after the truth came out? You know, that are they still backing him? Are they calling Manti Teo an idiot because he didn't, you know, ever meet this woman face to face? It's just that it is one of the most wild stories that I could ever possibly remember. And just this segment alone has brought back some crazy flashbacks. All right, let's head to the gridiron and talk some college football, shall we? I know we've talked about a lot about the NFL in recent weeks, but hey, we're getting down to the nitty gritty here in college football. I think it's time we start paying attention to kind of what is all unfolding in the college football playoff and, you know, just kind of what's happening all around college football in each conference. Absolutely. It has been quite an eventful week, that's for sure, especially concerning the Pac-12. This conference continues to be quite a disaster, and now they're really struggling to put together even a championship game after uh, Washington now goes down with COVID. Apparently, they didn't have any offensive linemen that would be able to play in the championship game this weekend against USC. Griff, what are some thoughts here about Pac-12? Yeah. Well, I, I think everyone kind of knew that just sports in general, were, it's just, it was just going to be a crazy year with COVID going on and just all of the obstacles that all of these sports had to face, right? But I think college football has had probably one of the more difficult times during this COVID pandemic. Uh, I, I think just, just the rescheduling for all of these conference games and figuring out who is credible for the college football playoff, who is deserving because, you know, the SEC 
they pretty much played a full slate of games. While, you know, the Big Ten, Ohio State's only played six or seven games. You know, their last game's going to be that Big Ten championship game against Northwestern. And same with the Pac-12. I mean, they've only played five games. So, I don't know. If you're the playoff committee, it's just an absolute nightmare. It's an absolute mess. It's honestly a season to forget. And especially for Larry Scott and the Pac-12 conference. What is going on over there out west? I've never seen such a poorly run anything. And I, I mean that. I, the Pac-12 is such a mess. They are clearly uh, probably the bottom tier Power 5 conference now, even below the ACC. Uh, I, I, I just, you know, the teams aren't very good in it. The leadership is just piss poor. Uh, the fact that Oregon's going to sneak into the Pac-12 championship game, E, with only two losses? I mean, I get that there's divisions. I get that there's a north and a south. I get that you kind of have to abide by these rules. But we've seen these other conferences make changes halfway through the season. And doesn't it make sense if if you were going to make these changes during a football season to do them during COVID-19, during this fall season? I just don't understand how, you know, the Pac-12, they're still banking on USC making the playoff. You know, they're so far up USC's you-know-what that, you know, they're just going to do anything for USC. And it's very unfortunate. And I think Larry Scott needs to go. And unfortunately, in my opinion, I think the Pac-12 is in some serious trouble. I could see them disbanding in the, in the near future here. I 100% agree with everything you just said, Griff. The conference itself is a complete dumpster fire right now. I mean, isn't the goal of a conference championship, isn't the goal of this game to crown the best team in the conference that's the Absolutely. goal right you would think so so why are we putting a two loss Oregon game in the championship when we don't have to okay right. like, like like let's be honest USC is not making the playoff they're not even going to come close the committee would probably rather have Cincinnati or Coastal Carolina in over USC as of right See, now I disagree because I think USC is, has such a brand name that the committee would sure. put them over those two teams. But they're not and nearly... And the ESPN-FPI right now, for some reason, has USC... At, they have a 50% shot of making the college football playoff. See, I think there is no way that they get in just because of simply how poorly they really played their schedule. I mean, yeah. yes, they went undefeated and stuff, but didn't they beat U of A by three points? Who yeah. just got absolutely murdered by 65 points at Arizona State? Yeah, I, I mean, just it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me somehow if USC wins the Pac-12 title game and there's all of a sudden these discussions that USC belongs in a four-team playoff when so why they've don't, only played five games. They haven't even played a ranked team all year. Why doesn't the Pac-12 help out their own and help out USC by scheduling this game against Colorado? Allow them to beat a good Colorado football team who has a good record, and that's actually a good win on the USC schedule. They literally have zero good wins right now. Yeah. Who, UCLA? Yeah, that's probably the best win. And they've come back. I UCLA think, is in a all middle five of the of pack. Their, in all, I think, three of their five games. I think it could be four of their five games. They've come back in the last two minutes. So they have, USC has kind of just found ways to come back late in games and, you know, eventually win it. So I don't know. You would think that would make the most sense. You know, the Pac-12, hey, I think these are the two best teams right now between CU and USC. Let's schedule them out, especially since USC uh, a few weeks ago had to cancel their game against Colorado uh, because of COVID cases, and then they were fined the next week. So that game was never played between USC and CU. The Pac-12 never rescheduled it, nor did they ever really want to or plan to. I think it's always been USC is the team to beat in the Pac-12. That's kind of just their thinking process, I guess. And they're going to um, you know, play a team like Oregon or Washington in the Pac-12 championship. This is, this is going exactly how the Pac-12 wants it to go. 
And that's just the messed up part of it all. I mean, it just it shouldn't be this way, and it's it sucks. I, I just think, you know, even before this season, I thought the Pac-12 was a pretty poorly run conference. You know, their revenue compared to, like, the Big Ten and the SEC. I mean, it comes simply it's down not to— even close. It comes simply down to TV deals. They have right. the worst TV, TV deal out of any big conference. The Big Ten has a better one. SEC has the best. Yeah. Even the ACC is well, better, and the Big 12 is better. Half of America can't even get Pac-12 Network because they can't— figure out a deal with direct tv and these other just satellite tv companies or even these streaming tv companies they, they can't even get the freaking network on air how are, how are you supposed to make money if people can't watch your network pac-12 after dark has been one of the dumbest experiments in all of sports history <laughs> and they continue to do it when they don't bring don't, in viewership you don't believe in the magic of pac-12 after dark absolutely I've not some crazy weird games I have, and you have, but that's because we live on the West Coast. (laughs) You think anybody in New York City cares Uh, about Oregon State and UCLA playing at 1130 at night? In all fairness, I don't think anybody in New York City cares about college football. I don't think college football is very big up there. But I'd I'd agree. Everybody on the East Coast. That's not true. I think people in Pennsylvania and, you know, around Penn State, people care. In Florida, the South. The well, Southeast is the biggest just, place for college football. I, I'm specifically saying New York. Nobody, nobody in New York cares. about Sure, and, and I just say that because that's a ginormous market. Right. It's you that's know, an NFL city, right? But a, the East Coast, all those teams. What I'm saying is the eastern yeah. half of the United States they don't watch Pac-12 after dark, so they automatically eliminate half of their revenue by right. alienating half of the country. So you know this whole entire conference is just in shambles. They expect. Each or they expect, especially Oregon and USC, to be good every year, just as the Big 12 expects OU to be good every year. The SEC expects Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Florida, these teams to be good every year. In the ACC, it's Clemson, in Miami, in the Big 10, it's Ohio State, Michigan, even Michigan State sometimes, right? The Pac 12 is failing because USC and Oregon. They have not been living up to standards very much at all, you know? I mean, even with Oregon, their best shot at a national title with Justin Herbert, and they blew it. So I got to say, I think this was the worst conference out of all the Power Fives right now. Larry Scott's not doing them any favors by striking another business deal. And like you were saying with the whole DirecTV and those TV deals, it's terrible. It's absolutely awful. So wait a minute here, Griff. I want to go back to what you were saying about USC sneaking in the playoff here, right? So I kind of want to talk about that because in last week's college football playoff rankings, the new ones haven't come out yet. They will come out in the morning. We are recording on Monday night here. Southern California, USC was ranked number 15 last week, okay? They go and beat UCLA this week, which was, I mean, it's a decent win. They got the dub. And so they're going to probably move up a few spots. Right. I cannot imagine them slingshotting 11 spots all the way into the top four. I mean, I think the only way USC gets in is if there's sheer madness going on. And by that, I mean... Well, they need Ohio State to lose. That's what they need. They need Ohio State to lose. They need probably Clemson to lose because I think even a 10-1 Notre Dame gets in over a 6-0 USC. So I think if Clemson loses and has two losses, they're out. And so they'll have to sneak in over Ohio State, Clemson... But I, I don't know. Some of these teams, even Texas A&M, why should Texas A&M not get in over USC? Why should Cincinnati, who's played more games and they're undefeated too, not get in? You know, like there are Coastal Carolina. They're 11-0. and Right. Why should they not get in? So I don't know. I just feel like it's way too uphill of a battle for, the, for USC to get in. 
especially because, yes, Pac-12 values USC. I really don't think college football cares about the Pac-12, and I don't think they care about USC, especially when they've just been kind of a boring team the last few years with Clay Hilton at the helm. There's nothing flashy about this team. I mean, they have a good quarterback, but what's I don't know that they're going to bring in more ratings than you know Clemson or Ohio State or Notre Dame, any of these teams would. So I think 11 spots is going to be a really, really steep climb to get up there. Uh, I will make this one argument because in the past, the college football playoff committee, they put great value on conference championships. They, they have shown in the past since the college football playoff debuted in 2014, that if you win your conference and if you are a conference champion, that that's going to help you out in the college football rankings. Now, this is a weird year, right? I mean, USC hasn't really played anybody. Uh, they've only played five games. They're five and zero. They're going to play the Pac-12 championship game. If they beat Oregon, they'll be six and zero. I don't think that's enough to get in. But the one argument I am making is that USC is arguably probably a top five program ever. Uh, you know, they're they're college football royalty, right? Sure, they're prestigious. Yeah. Um, and teams like Indiana, Coastal Carolina. Northwestern, you know, even though they're more deserving this year, it's a popularity contest. It's always been a popularity contest. That's why the same four teams are in it every every year, you know? Uh, so I think, call me crazy, there's an outside shot. I don't see it happening. I, I really don't. There's just not enough on the table for USC to jump all of these teams that have played more games and have maybe a little more impressive resumes. Uh, but... I mean, you know, the, the Pac-12 is going to be making the argument. USC is going to be making that argument, even though whether they should, you know, deserve it or not, they're going to be making that argument. It's, it's, it's interesting to think about. So going back to our interview with Mark Johnson just a few weeks ago, it's probably about a month ago now, he brought up a great point as to what the Pac-12 did wrong. He brought up the point that they really screwed up at the very beginning because I think it was in June or July. One of the two, they canceled college football. Because of COVID. And that was way too early to be doing that. They should have taken the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 approach where you kind of wait and see what happens. You can always cancel everything at, you know, the flip of a switch. You can always cancel it. Why not let it roll out just a little bit longer in case there's any more developments? But all they did, essentially, was push back the inevitable. And by doing that, just pushing back the start of the season, they screwed themselves. Because now USC has only played five games. And even if USC, if this was a normal year and USC goes undefeated, obviously they'd be in the playoff. Well, they have no shot now. And that's strictly the Pac-12's fault by pushing back the scheduling so far when it wasn't going to matter anyway. I mean, goodness gracious, did right. they think that there was going to be a vaccine distributed and all was going to be well in that month of delaying the season? Is that really what they were waiting on? Why did they wait? There was literally no advantage right. because there was going to be no vaccine coming out by that time. That was ridiculous. They screwed themselves. And you know what? I, I am totally okay with the Pac-12 being left out, and I don't think they're going to get anywhere close to being given a berth into this college football playoff. Well, and you can make the same argument, too, with the Big Ten, right? Because the Big Ten and the Pac-12 right. were kind of on that same page, that same schedule that they released back in the summer before uh, college football even started. I mean, they were like, hey, we're not playing football during this COVID pandemic. Um, and it wasn't really until the SEC and the Big 12 started playing games where the Pac-12 and Big Ten were like, hey, uh, maybe we should reconsider this. Maybe we should kind of look at this a different way and kind of, you know, 
play football again, right? Uh, so and by the by the time they made the decision, you know, there was only five to six games to be played because the Pac-12's delusional, and they still believed that they could get a team into the college football playoff, which hasn't happened since 2016 when Washington uh, played Alabama in the college football playoff semifinal. So, yeah, the Pac-12's delusional. They were never going to get into the playoff to begin with, even with a 6-0 and USC team. I mean, it's just a tall task. It is. And, you know, Oregon right now, they're 3-2. and That's who USC is going to be playing. I just do not see that as a very quality win. I mean, they're coming off a two-game losing streak. They lost to Oregon State and Cal. I mean, this isn't last year's Oregon team that won the Rose Bowl with Justin Herbert at the helm, you know, beating Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. It's just not the same team. They don't have I, – I, I see where you're coming from. I don't think that USC has enough to climb up into that top four. But, yeah, people are going to be making that argument that, hey, it is USC. They're going to, you know – gather more ratings than maybe some of these other college football teams that are in contention. You know, they're college football royalty. That's my point. Absolutely no, and I'm 100% with you on on that particular take. But with what you said about Ohio State and how, you know, they've only played, or not necessarily Ohio State, but the Big Ten has played pretty much the same amount of games, and you're totally right. The only difference between Ohio State winning their conference championship and getting in and the difference between USC winning their conference championship and getting in is exactly what you just said. Oregon sucks this year. A two-loss Oregon team is garbage. But Ohio State has to play Northwestern. And I can't believe I'm saying, but Northwestern has one of the best defenses in the in the entire country. That'll at least be a quality win for Northwestern. And at least Ohio State has blown some people out and looked like, at times, one of the four best teams in college football. All year, I haven't been able to think of USC as a top four college football even once. I don't have even thought of them in the top ten. Right now, if they played Georgia, I think Georgia would probably blow them out. I'd agree. I think if they play BYU, I think it's a lot closer than people think. I, I think Zach Wilson definitely could steal that win. I think if they play North Carolina, that's not an easy win either. I'm telling you, I don't think USC is that good. I think Ohio State is. Yes, Ohio State really doesn't have that deserving of a resume either just because they've only played the same amount of games, five games. But at least they're going to be able to beat a highly ranked Northwestern team with a phenomenal defense to get into that championship. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Do you think there's any shot at all for Cincinnati to slide in? They're at number six right now. They're probably going to need, like, for example, Ohio State, and Clemson to probably lose, right. and then maybe A and M and A and M and Cincinnati might slip in, but I well, don't know. I don't. I don't think there's a very high chance. But you know what? If if the NCAA wants to shed the entire stigma that they won't give teams the respect they deserve, like from the UCF BS that happened a couple years ago, this would be the year to slide in a team like Coastal Carolina or Cincinnati because it's already just such a joke of a year. Why not? If you want to get people off your back, slip one of those teams in. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think they're deserving of it, quite honestly, because I don't think they're as good as Ohio State, Notre Dame, right. Clemson, A&M, Alabama, anybody like that. You know. So, But also, this brings up another good point that I wanted to bring up on this podcast this week is why doesn't the NCAA experiment with more teams in the playoffs? I, I was just about because to say that. Yep. I they think the already, writing is on the wall. They already played a shorter amount of games. So if you're worried about the student-athletes being overworked, that's not true because they haven't played a full year this year. Right. So why not extend it to a 16-team tournament and have it be a mini March Madness? The fans are craving it. We didn't get March Madness this last year. Right. Do you know how captivating that would be? How great that would be for all of the conferences? The Pac-12 would flourish. People would watch USC. 
Right. They would get to see them, you know? And so it, it's just, I don't know. It's quite a shame. I think, quite honestly, the NCAA is fumbling the bag here. I, I really think that they should make it a bigger playoff. I don't know, Griff. What are your thoughts on that? Is that even realistic? I I think the writing is on the wall for this four-team playoff. I think there's going to come a point. I don't know when, but there will be a point where the NCAA is going to have to sit down and be like, hey, like, we got to extend this thing. We got to expand the teams in this playoff. Now, 16 teams, that's a lot of teams, I think. I think what is more realistic to happen is maybe an 18 playoff. Sure. Uh, I think they're going to go maybe from four teams to eight. And then maybe later down the road, they, they could, you know, kind of experiment with that 16 team playoff. I think but the- eight teams, I think, is a good number to not totally discredit the regular season and kind of it, its importance overall. And I think that's just a, a good amount of teams that, you know, there'll be, there's probably about eight teams that'll, that can contend for a national title, right? And I think you got to put those best eight teams in there. I think four teams, that's just not very many teams. It's not very many teams. And I don't understand why college football doesn't do it. I mean, I totally get the whole NBA thing right. where the where the regular season is just meaningless. Because, yeah, if we're including 16 teams, sure, that's a lot of teams. That means right now North Carolina would be on the cutoff. They'd be the 16th team in. Well, and they've lost three. three. They've lost three games. Exactly. So, so I mean, do you see my point, though, where I'm, I'm saying I think eight teams would be just that kind of middle ground, the perfect medium where it would be like, for those people that argue against, hey, like th- well, that, if we do a 16-team playoff, that is totally going to discredit the importance of the regular season. And I think an 18-team playoff is probably more realistic of where the NCAA ends up going here in the near future. Sure, of course. Uh, and, you know, I'm not I, – I could totally see him going to 16 games, you know, eventually, or 16 teams eventually. But I think that eight teams, I think that's a great idea. I truly do. And it gives just the whole sport of college football – a more exciting factor to it, and it's it'll make the the just the whole playoff better, the whole bowl season better. I don't I don't see really any negatives to it. I'm 100 percent with you that eight teams is much more realistic, and honestly, it might even be better for the sport eight teams instead of 16 because you're right. When you bring 16 teams in, that can totally take that NBA approach where it just saturates the whole regular season, right? And the regular season just doesn't matter as much exactly. anymore. So, yes, I agree. Eight is the sweet spot right now um, from just the AP top 25. Obviously, we don't have the college football playoff rankings yet. They come out tomorrow morning. But with these top eight teams, it would be the cutoff would be Iowa State would be slipping in there. But I think, honestly, if we were to do eight teams, I feel like the rankings may start to be shed a little bit. And I think it should be every single power five conference champion. Right. Um, because that's five teams right there. And then three at large bids. Um, and I think one of those at large bids needs to be the best non power five team. That way we're getting represented by those UCFs, by those coastal Carolinas, the Cincinnati's, you know, teams like that, that deserve a shot because quite frankly, coastal Carolina has done everything they possibly have done to get into the playoff. They will never have a better year than they're having right now. They're 11 and 0 and they are really, really good. Right. So, I don't know. Um, I, I think that eight-team playoff is going to be absolutely perfect, but un- unfortunately, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I'm just glad we're on the same page because I love how you said that. Yeah, each conference champion will, you know, have a spot uh, in the college football playoff in one of those eight spots, and then you have three wild cards. I think that makes the most sense, does it not? I, I mean, those three wild cards can be from any conference. They can be even a group of five team because a group of five team, you go undefeated, twelve and zero. 
that, that's they're probably good enough to get into that eight spot. And it'll also shut up a lot of those people who say that, oh, the group of five, you know, the, the UCFs of the world. I mean, these guys, I mean, I, their strength of schedule isn't very good. So they have to kind of rely on going undefeated to even have any consideration in the playoff and how the playoff is kind of set up right now. But let's be so, real, they get they get considered technically, quote-unquote, but they never, ever get in. Right. They're never really actually considered. And, know? I mean, that's a that's an argument, though. I mean, that's a valid argument. I mean, Coastal Carolina, who have they played all season other than BYU? I mean, they're undefeated. They're 11-0. But you pair them against, you know, anybody in the top 10 right now? Do they beat anybody in the top 10? I don't know. I, so, th- I think they could beat Indiana. I think they could beat Iowa State. Yeah. Uh, I think they could maybe I think beat Cincinnati. Good. I mean, they I took, do too, they but took it, it to Wisconsin without their starting quarterback. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean I'm I just saying know. I give Coastal Carolina a chance. I'm not saying they would win. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm still not really too sure how good A&M is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they beat my Florida Gators, but I and they played really well during that game. But are they really as good as Clemson and Ohio State? Right. I don't know. So, I've got a question for AE. What if Ohio State goes down this week? against Northwestern, and Clemson loses to Notre Dame. I mean, there's two spots open there. I think Alabama and Notre Dame would be locks at the 1-2. and two. But then at the 3 and the 4, I mean, what happens? Does Texas A&M sneak in at 7-1? and one? I know they play Tennessee this weekend. It should be a win. But the last thing you want to do is overlook Tennessee. I mean, we watched Florida and LSU this last weekend. It kind of seemed like they did the same thing. So, I mean, hey, A&M should handle business there. I think they could possibly sneak in after that. And then you got teams like Cincinnati who are undefeated and IU with one loss, Iowa State or OU maybe if they win the Big 12 championship. And I think this is where I think where USC kind of comes into play too. If they're an undefeated Pac-12 champion, look out. I think that's the best case scenario for USC. What do you think, E? Oh my gosh, if that happens, I have no idea what is going to happen. I definitely think that would raise USC's chances. I mean, they'd be an undefeated Pac-12 champion. I guess you couldn't really deny that. I think Texas A&M definitely gets in. Okay. So those are three teams, Alabama, Notre Dame, Texas A&M. But that four seed is all wide open, man. Who knows? I mean, oh, my gosh. It it's could tough. be. That's where I think you can make that It could be Cincinnati. Argument. Or you know, what about this? Are we sure Ohio State drops out? Maybe they just get hopped by A&M because Clemson will have two losses, so they'll be done done. Right. But Ohio State will have one loss. They'll be five and one. But, I mean. Yeah, that's I don't just know. like like you were saying that's about sketch. that's what, real sketch. Like you were saying about how USC is just kind of that prestigious team. Yeah, I mean, who's more prestigious in all of college football than Ohio no, State? I, that's so true. Maybe a five and one Ohio State team slips in. I don't know. I, think, I don't love that, but I mean, yeah, I think Ohio State. Well, at that point, I think Northwestern at six and one would get in in front of Ohio State. Because you'd think, yeah, I, I I don't I think Ohio State has to win against Northwestern. Who did Northwestern North lose to? Well, they're they're just six and one, so I think if they beat Ohio right. State, they'll have the same record and that conference championship in Ohio State. So North- I think it would be hard to put Ohio State in over Northwestern at that point. That's why I just think Ohio State it's a must win. For right. Ohio State. Yeah, you win and get in, I think. But I mean I don't know. I think Cincinnati might may slip in. I mean, they're eight and oh, and I feel like for being a group of five team, they're pretty well respected. Um, Do they have any games left on the schedule? What's that kind of looking like? I'm not they, really sure. Yeah, they play oh. they play Tulsa. Who's ranked twenty fourth. So they've had some ranked wins, Cincinnati here. They beat number twenty two Army by two scores. They beat oh, they were supposed to play Tulsa earlier in the year, but it got postponed. Okay. That's they beat SMU. They beat them down pretty good. Forty two to thirteen. 
Um, they beat Houston. They beat Memphis. They beat Eastern Carolina. They beat UCF in a close one. And their last two games have gotten canceled. So they actually have not played football since November 21st. Okay. And so they're going up against Tulsa. So they, the, got, they have to win that game. But if they right. beat Tulsa, it's hard to make an argument or not to make the argument if Ohio State and Clemson lose that Cincinnati doesn't get in, right? I, I don't know. Boy, it's how, tough. It's going to be really interesting. Coming can't you just see? This is going to be the most complicated college football playoff playoff ever, just considering the Listen. COVID and everything going on. It's going to be wild. Can you imagine if Cincinnati gets in over an undefeated USC team oh. and what Larry Scott and the Pac-12, what a ruckus they're going to make? But you know what? It's their own fault. Yeah. I honestly hope it happens to prove those guys wrong. Yep. Because you know what? They they really fumbled the bag. They I I think the Pac-12 just, just has no shot. But, I mean, I don't know. Are any of these other teams? I really think it might be Cincinnati. The more I think about it, I don't know. It's, I, I don't know. It's going to be tough. It I really mean, wouldn't is. you rather see I think Cincinnati, Cincinnati could totally lose to Tulsa this weekend. I, I could totally too. see it. And if that happens, it's just utter chaos at that Hold point. On, where did Indiana come from? Is this team a real threat to get in? I highly doubt well, it, right? Well, I know their quarterback isn't. Yeah, Phoenix uh, is hurt. Yeah, I know I know Phoenix is, is hurt, uh, and I, I think that's going to affect them. But it didn't really affect them too badly against Wisconsin. I know Wisconsin's kind of having a down year. but And they played good defense in that game. I believe they only held the Badgers to six points there. So, yeah, Indiana's got an outside shot too. I think the only thing with Indiana is that they lost to Ohio State. They so, lost only by a touchdown. So, right. I mean, that's not the worst stain on your record, losing to them right. by a touchdown. But do they get would, – would they put – would the committee put Indiana over Ohio State if they lose the Big 12 title game – or the Big 10 title game, excuse me? I don't think so. I can't imagine. I, You're they'll right, have, no. They'll have the same record, and they beat them head-to-head. I just don't see it happening. And I think they'd rather have Ohio State in there anyway. Right. So, uh, yeah, so I, I, I think, think – I use out. I think I use out. Despite their great year. They've had a great year. I mean, no one saw them coming, and, you know, they beat Penn State early in the year. That kind of put them on the map, and – kind of escalated them up in the rankings. So they've had a heck of a year considering all of the injuries they've had as well. So I think IU's out. I think Iowa State is out. They have two losses. Georgia, Florida, they're out. Is OU out too if they they're, beat Is the Big 12 out? Yeah. Can we cross the I, Big 12 I out? I think so. There's okay. no one-loss teams there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, OU's 7-2, and two, but I think they'd rather put in a Florida team over right. than an OU team. Mm-hmm. So, I mean – do you think there's any shot for any two lost teams to get in? Like, what if what if Florida beats Alabama? What if Clemson? I mean, Clemson might lose to Notre Dame, and then if it's sheer chaos, I wouldn't be shocked if they still slid them in there. That's gonna get just crazy. because it's Trevor Lawrence, right? Well, and if Florida beats Alabama, how how does the Texas A&M win against Florida look? I think if that happens, A&M's in. I I mean, Texas A&M. I think if anybody in the top four, I think A&M might be in. Yeah, you think? Unless I think Anna might be unless in, unless Notre Clemson Dame and loses. Ohio State wins, right? If, I think if Notre Dame loses, they're still in regardless. If yeah, but all the I think all they need is Clemson or Ohio State to lose. Okay, and they slip in. Well, there's a lot of situations, and it's going to be fun following it this weekend, no doubt. I mean, there's so many scenarios that can go down, and you know, we're just kind of speaking for ourselves. We don't really know what the committee's thinking right now and where they kind of value things. Like I said earlier, I just think the conference championship thing is huge for the committee in past seasons. But this is an unusual season, so I'm, I'm very curious to see what the committee does. And uh, even just in, the t- in tomorrow's rankings on Tuesday, kind of what those rankings look like. Because these rankings kind of say a lot on who's above who. And I think we're, we're going to start to get more of a clearer picture as the week unfolds. So, Griff, I have 
two questions for you here regarding college football. Okay. Number one, some big news out of Auburn. Okay. They fired Gus Malzahn. Yeah. Are you surprised? Do you think it was deserved? I'm shocked to say the least. I mean, that recruiting class is loaded for next year. They're going to be loaded next year. They're going to be a good team. Whoever's coming in to coach that program is going to be in good shape. And not to mention, it was a $21 million buyout that that Auburn had to pay to Gus Malzahn just just to let him go. So it's I'm I'm very interested and and kind of just dumbfounded on on why Auburn kind of made the decision that they did. I know um, know, last year they beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl. I know they just got absolutely stomped by him this year. I think they ended up, what, four losses this season? I can't... What's what's their exact record? I think Auburn is 8-4, and 8-5, and five, I think it is. They're somewhere around there. Yeah. They are... So they are 6-4. and four. Okay. So 6-4, and four, I mean, that's... Yeah, I, I'd say that's pretty underwhelming for an Auburn team, especially in the SEC. You know, they went 6-4 and four in conference. I, I don't even think they played a non-conference game. It was all conference games for Auburn this year. Uh, and, you know, when you're playing Alabama and when Alabama is your arch rival and uh, you're also in the same division as Texas A&M, LSU, these kind of teams, I I see where they're coming from after a tough year. But it was it is just a tough year. I, I don't know. I don't think you can put the blame on Gus Malzahn. I don't think he can do it. I think, you know, Bo Nix hasn't played great this season. Uh, you know, I, they really need him to step it up next year if, if they want to take that next step. I mean, it's all about quarterback play, you know, football at any level, high school, college, NFL. It's all about quarterback play. So they need Bo Nix to play a little bit better. But, yeah, I mean, 6-4 and four is obviously not good enough for Auburn. But I'm just looking at the future, and their recruiting classes are stacked. Gus Malzahn's been pretty good at, at Auburn. I mean, he's beaten Alabama two or three times. I don't know. It's it's questionable. It's very questionable. I'm I'm very intrigued to see who they bring in as their next head coach. I I expect it to be somebody really big. I think they're going to make a splash. I think Auburn. And I think that's the only reason why they would do something like this. If right. maybe in the back of the back of their mind they have somebody that they're going to hire a big name. So and who knows who that may be? I'm not sure. But so that's big news out of Auburn. Griff, the second thing I wanted to bring up, and this is incredibly painful for me to talk about. Oh, no. So as our listeners may know, I was born and raised a Florida Gator fan. Okay? (laughs) I'm a diehard Uh. Florida Gator fan, and the Gators took on LSU this last weekend to eventually, hopefully, beat them and move on to go to the SEC title game to play Alabama and possibly get in the playoff. Well, as I'm sure all of our listeners know by now, They messed up really bad. They did. They really fumbled the bag, and they lost to LSU in top three most heartbreaking fashion (laughs) I've ever seen. Okay? Like this, in all of my experience as a fan watching football games, I've had a couple heartbreaking losses, okay? I had when the Broncos played the Ravens in 2012 and lost because Jacoby Jones ran a streak down the sideline and Joe Flacco threw up a... A prayer, and it worked. That was one of the luckiest things I've ever seen. And and Raheem Moore, not to mention, did did not have a great play on the ball there. That was number one most heartbreaking. Number two is when the Broncos lost in the Super Bowl to the Seahawks. We just got flat out stomped in that game, but that was still heartbreaking. This comes in at number three. Okay, wow. because we have in so my this is in your top three. This most is number heartbra- three. I mean, you've had a tough weekend. I could tell. Oh. I mean, it took it out of you. You were laying on the floor for I, close to half an hour after they missed, you know, the field goal to tie it. And anyways, it, it was. Why don't you explain to the to our listeners what exactly happened in the game? 
So if you can, if you're if you're emotionally <laughs> healthy enough and all there. So Florida comes into the game twenty four point favorites. Okay, heavily favored, and I was feeling good about the game. I thought Gators' offense was way too much for this LSU defense, especially considering Derek Stingley wasn't playing and they didn't have a lot of their guys. I thought, no doubt, for hopefully future <laughs> Heisman winner Kyle Trask and company, it would be no problem, right? Well, that's not true. They played us tough through the first half, and I just kind of knew. I think I even said to you, I believe it was in the second quarter, Griff, I don't have too good of a feeling about this game. The bounces are just literally not going our way. They had an interception that was deflected off a helmet that almost went out of bounds. Pick six during that game. Pick six. We had a weird fumble right before the half that gave them three points. Like, it was just not a good start to the game. The first half was just really terrible. So I was starting to not feel so good about the game, but I was like, you know what? No one comes out of the second half with better second half adjustments than Dan Mullen. That's true. Well, Dan Mullen didn't really do that this week. He didn't come out of the gate so well. And that's probably just an attest to how good the LSU coaching staff is, Bo Pelini and Ed Orgeron over there. Well, we go in, and all of a sudden it's getting into the end later part of the game, and... LSU has the ball back. I believe they're tied at 34-34. LSU's got the ball with like three and a half yeah. minutes left. And, and at this point, if you're Florida, I mean, you just want to walk. You just got to get out of there with a win. You yep. just got to find a way to win this game. Just escape and get the win and move on to I mean, Alabama. I know LSU lost their whole roster last year. I mean, they lost pretty much everybody. So I mean, this has definitely been kind of a rebuilding year for LSU in a lot of ways. But, I mean, they're still the defending champs. So, I, you know. They're the defending champs. They're... There's LSU, so of course they have. They still have the athletes to compete. Right. And everyone overlooked them. The fans overlooked them. The coaching staff, the players, everybody overlooked the LSU Tigers. So anyway, back to the game. Three and a half minutes left. LSU has the ball, and they're going down the field. And I believe it was third and ten, somewhere around there. And we force it to fourth down. It was just a like an eight yard. Um, pass to the tight end, and he's wrapped up and tackled by Marco Wilson, our cornerback. <laughs> well, Marco Wilson gets up from the pile, and it just had so happened that the tight end's shoe had fallen off in Marco Wilson's lap. So what does Marco Wilson do, right? He just stopped him on third and ten, yep. caused a big fourth down where you're going to go down and score and win the game. So Marco Wilson's in a good mood. He stands up and grabs the cleat. That came off of this tight end's shoe, and I'm not joking when I tell you this. He launches it 20 yards down the field, and what a moronic and idiotic move. I don't know how you do this in any football game, let alone one that your entire season depends on in the most crucial play of the entire game. So as soon as he throws it, all the Gator players are looking around trying to stop him from doing anything else stupid, and they all know the flag is coming. They don't know where it's coming from, but it's coming. Sure enough, they all rain in. There's like three flags on the field. And it was the worst part about all of this <laughs> is the referee goes unsportsmanlike conduct on number three for throwing a cleat 20 <laughs> yards down the field. And I quote, that's literally what he said. Uh, so we get the penalty, and they get the ball back, and it's new life for LSU. So sure enough, our defense makes another big stop. We force him to a 57-yard field goal. It's a long one. It's a long one that some NFL kickers probably around half the league could not make. Honestly, in being half the league, that's being generous. Right. 
I, you know, I mean, co- you gotta have a big. That's a long field goal. We're sitting have a here. Big we're sitting here watching the Browns and Ravens game as we're recording this podcast, and Cody Parkey's out here missing extra points. I, Cody Parkey, I, I'd actually put my life on it. He would, he would have not made that kick exactly on Saturday. Well, no, no way. Well, Cade Mays, I believe that's his name, the kicker for LSU, comes out and drills it. Thirty, or I'm sorry, excuse me, fifty-seven yard field goal in the fog. In it, the fog, it you couldn't like fireworks even, were going off. You couldn't even see. The ball. It went right through the uprights. Yep. Great kick. Phenomenal kick by that guy. He'll definitely play in the NFL with that leg. That yep. was incredible. He probably, well, he probably, after that kick, he's probably not well on his way, you know? Right. Yeah. So, so already bad news. Gators are down by three, 37-34. They get the ball back with, I believe it was 23 seconds left and full set of timeouts, I believe. They're, they either had two or three. I believe they had a full set. And Kyle Trask leads them down the field in 23 seconds. They pick up about 40 yards. And the Gators have a great kicker, Evan McPherson. He, he's been great his entire career at Florida. Comes in to kick a 51-yarder to send the game into overtime. And I'm not kidding you, he missed it by three inches. And it, it really was third most devastating game in my lifetime that I've ever witnessed just because of what was on the line. And boy, did the Florida Gators fumble it. And so now they're still going to the SEC title to play Alabama, but all they can play is spoiler now. Yeah. You, you know, they're not going to be able to get it in the playoff. They they ruined it. They blew it. Hopefully they can knock Alabama out. But that was – what are your thoughts about that game? Obviously you saw the absolute depression that I went to after that yeah, game. I, I'm still in it, your honestly. Your soul left your body. I, I almost had to call the paramedics because you were so dead on the floor. It, I, it was pretty I almost brutal. had to perform CPR on you. That's how. That's just how dead you were. Well, I still feel dead inside after that game. No, that, that's a type of loss that'll you know stick with you probably for the rest of your life. Trust me. And I, I, I can already see it now. Every single time the Gators play LSU, it's going to pop up on the screen. Oh, Remember yeah. 2020 when Marco Wilson launched the shoe, the infamous well, shoe toss. I, I've got a question. Where, where was Marco Wilson this whole time when Florida couldn't find a quarterback? I mean, he chucked that shoe about 25 yards. That is absolutely the truth. I mean, that was a cannon. You think Trayon Harris has that kind of arm? Oh, my. Trayon Austin Harris. Appleby? No, or Felipe Franks for that matter. Who's the, who is that other guy after Tim Tebow? John Brantley? John Brantley? No. I don't think he could show. I don't think he could throw a cleat that that far. I'm sorry, Marco Wilson. He did chuck it. He got some air on it. And you know what? I've been seeing a lot of memes lately. They are making me laugh. Of you know the clip of when George W. Bush is at the podium <laughs> and someone launches a shoe at him in I the mean, middle of the and press. He dodges conference? it. What yeah. an athlete! Well, someone edited the video of Marco Wilson <laughs> launching the shoe and then George George W. <laughs> Dodging, <laughs> dodging the shoe. That is outrageous. So, you know, it's pretty unbelievable. This world is too much sometimes. Twitter, I can't take Twitter sometimes seri- so seriously. Especially in 2020. What what a year this has been. Pretty devastating loss there for the well, Florida Gators. I, I got to say it, E. Idiot of the week, Marco Wilson. That's he, right. He blew the chances for Florida. Props to, uh, what's what, what was LSU's kicker's name? I believe it's Cade Mays, but I'm not totally positive. Cade Mays, I mean, props to him. He had to hit a 57-yard field goal. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. And props to Florida for almost, you know, marching down the field and coming back. Evan McPherson, he's probably an NFL kicker. I mean, he just missed it. I thought it was going in and it just hooked last second. He missed it by probably a couple inches. It wasn't by much. And you know what? You say props to Florida for driving down. I agree for driving down, but that was one of the most miserable games by a supposed 
championship contender I've seen in a while. Just the mistakes. They looked poorly coached, which never happens under Dan Mullen. So Yeah, and it kinda it's kinda interesting to hear Dan Mullen after the game criticize the offense. I mean, he wasn't yeah. really taking any of the blame. To me it kinda seemed like he was just pointing the finger. Absolutely. And you know, he ends up they asked him about the Marco Wilson penalty. And you know what? I do not expect him and you know I don't want him to do this I don't expect him to go into the press game conference and or the post game excuse me post game conference and trash Marco Wilson you know everybody makes mistakes yes this is one of the more asinine mistakes you'll ever see but he said it was just unfortunate and you know people are trashing him for that answer that one I'm okay with because what do you expect the dude to do go up there and trash Marco Wilson Uh, but you know what I do draw the line where you call our offense out for not performing that's not true they dropped 34 points what about the rest of the defense who yeah. gave up 37? Well, that's why I was so shocked. I mean, I, you would think that Dan Mullen would point the finger towards the defense. I know he's kind of an offensive, you know, minded head coach and that he's uh, always just kind of been on that side of the football. He's, he's an offensive mastermind is what he is. That's just inaccurate. That's just not true, Dan. So, they, the defense let Florida down. And there's just nothing really much more to it. I, I don't know what else you want me to say. Did Kyle Trask lose the Heisman? No. And this is what I was going to get to. I think he's going to win the Heisman still. I think his numbers are that good, and he's had that good of a year. I don't know who else would win it. I, I, I just find it hard to believe that Mac Jones would win the Heisman over Kyle Trask or you know a guy like Zach Wilson uh, after losing against Coastal Carolina and kind of the, the game that he played in that one. So I think Kyle Trask right now, yeah, I would say he is the Heisman favorite. I, I would put my money on Kyle Trask winning the Heisman this season. So, hey, that's something to look forward to, uh, you know, with you being a Florida Gators fan. I, you know, I, I'm right there to agree with you. I think he's still going to snatch the Heisman away, especially because right now, let, let's break down his stats here, okay? Kyle Trask has 40 touchdown passes and five interceptions. Mac Jones, 27 touchdowns, three picks. Okay, so yes, he has two less interceptions, but he also has 13 more touchdowns. Right. So, I mean, the only argument he truly has is that he plays on Alabama. And, right. you know, they have a better team right now, and they're undefeated. So, but, hey, what if Kyle Trask comes out in the SEC championship, throws four touchdowns, and, you know, Florida beats Alabama? I think that that's going to cement Kyle Trask as the Heisman winner of Florida. Uh, you know, takes care of business Absolutely. and knocks off Alabama. I think it, it it would be really hard not to give the Heisman Memorial Trophy to Kyle Trask if that happens. Absolutely. I totally agree. I think, yeah, the only way Kyle Trask kind of loses it from here on out is if he plays miserable in this SEC title game and throws, you know, three picks or something right. like that, no right. touchdowns. And, and then, Mac like, you Jones. know, Mac Jones goes off. Right, yeah. exactly. And so, I don't know. I think this is Kyle Trask's Heisman to lose still. Um, which is good news for the Florida Gators. But after a tough loss, I guess it makes it a little bit easier to swallow. But I'm not so sure about that. So we'll see. (laughs) We have a pretty exciting week of college football ahead of us. All right. How about some games to uh, be on the lookout for this weekend? Absolutely. As we just spoke about all of these, we have all of the conference championship games in college football, USC and Oregon, Alabama, Florida, Northwestern, Ohio State, And last but not least, Clemson-Notre Dame. That's going to be a heck of a matchup on 2 p.m. at Saturday. That is mountain time. We'll see what happens with all these games and how it shakes up the college football playoff. Well, that's going to be a huge weekend in college football. I mean, that's going to determine most likely the college football playoff. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch college football this weekend. I'm going to go to the NFL side. And kind of the biggest game this weekend, or should I say next weekend, in the NFL, it's the Kansas City Chiefs 
visiting New Orleans and the Saints. You know, I don't think Drew Brees is going to play in this game. Uh, they kind of played with the idea of how he might try to return against Kansas City in that one. I think they're going to stick with Taysom Hill. But I think the Saints can actually win this game. It's going to be a heck of a game. Could be a Super Bowl preview for all we know. All right, E, any closing thoughts from you? Yeah, go ahead and check out our website, showcasesportsmedia.com. We're posting all kinds of super cool journalism pieces about sports as well as other podcasts about baseball, football, and basketball. Check out our Instagram at showcasesportsmedia. And last but not least, if you're listening on Apple Music, go ahead and subscribe and give us a review. That'd be great. Thanks for listening. That's going to be a wrap. Cheers from Showcase Sports Media. We'll see you next week.